This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of muscle biology and physiology from the basic science section on orthobullets.com. The key topics that we'll review in this episode include gross anatomy, muscle contraction, muscle type, muscle metabolism, types of contraction, muscle training, nutritional training, and muscle injury. We'll start off with gross anatomy, and we'll talk specifically about the myotendinous junction and non-contractile elements. So as far as the myotendinous junction, this is the weak link in muscle and often the site of tears, especially with eccentric contractions. The myotendinous junction is an involution of muscle cells that are maximized surface area for attachment. As far as non-contractile elements, the epimesium surrounds muscle bundles, the perimesium surrounds muscle fascicles, and the endomesium surrounds individual fibers. So again, the epimesium surrounds muscle bundles, the perimesium surrounds muscle fascicles, and the endomesium surrounds individual fibers. Now let's talk about muscle contraction. Specifically, we'll talk about contractile elements, sarcomere composition, action stimulation, types of muscle contraction, force generation, and contraction speed. So contractile elements are derived from myoblasts. And remember that the muscle fiber, which is an elongated cell, is the basic unit of contraction. And a myofibril is a collection of sarcomeres. So speaking of sarcomeres, as far as sarcomere composition, they include filaments and bands. The filaments include thick myosin filaments and thin actin filaments. As far as bands, the H-band is myosin only, the I-band is actin only, and the A-band is both actin and myosin. The Z-line flanks each sarcomere and acts as a site of attachment for actin filament. So during muscle contraction, the A-band stays the same length, the I-band reduces in length, and the H-zone also reduces in length. As far as action stimulation, the nerve cell body delivers an electrical signal to the motor end plate. This is the junction between the muscle and the nerve. So the nerve action potentials are started with the passage of sodium ions through voltage-gated channels. This has been a tested point on previous exams, so I'll say it again. Nerve action potentials are started with the passage of sodium ions through voltage-gated channels. Acetylcholine is released and diffuses across the synaptic cleft to bind to the acetylcholine receptor. Myasthenia gravis patients have a shortage of acetylcholine receptors. Another clinical pearl is that Botox blocks release of acetylcholine from the end plate. Acetylcholine binding triggers depolarization of sarcoplasmic reticulum and release of calcium into the muscle cytoplasm. So again, acetylcholine binding triggers depolarization of sarcoplasmic reticulum and releases calcium into the muscle cytoplasm. Now let's talk about excitation-contraction coupling. So in a low-calcium environment, tropomyosin blocks myosin-binding sites on actin. And in a high-calcium environment, calcium binds to troponin on thin filaments, leading to a configuration change of tropomyosin on thin filaments. In a high-calcium environment, there will be exposing of the myosin binding sites on actin filament. Actin forms cross-bridges to myosin, then ATP breaks down, and then the two fibers contract past one another. As far as types of muscle contraction, the ones to know include isometric, isokinetic, plyometric, and isotonic. 
isometric is when muscle contracts with a constant length, for example, pushing against an immovable object. Isokinetic is when the muscle contracts with constant speed, so this requires specific equipment like a Cybex machine. Plyometric is rapid lengthening followed by contraction of muscle groups, for example, jumping up and down on boxes. Finally, isotonic is when the muscle contracts with constant tension. And there are two types of isotonic contractions, concentric and eccentric. Concentric is when the muscle shortens during contraction, for example, a biceps curl. Eccentric is when the muscle lengthens during contraction, for example, a negative rep of a bicep curl. As far as force generation, keep in mind that force generated is most dependent on muscle cross-sectional area. This has been a tested point on previous exams, so I'll say it again. The force generated is most dependent on muscle cross-sectional area. Also remember that muscle fiber size increases with strength conditioning. As far as contraction speed, duration and speed of contraction is most dependent on fiber type. And we'll talk about different muscle fiber types now. So the two muscle types include type 1 muscle and type 2 muscle. And we'll talk about the differences between these two muscles based on their metabolism, energy source, and exercise duration. Remember that type 1 muscles are slow twitch muscles, otherwise known as slow red ox muscles. And type 2 muscles are fast twitch muscles. So with respect to metabolism, type 1 muscles undergo aerobic slash oxidative metabolism, while type 2 muscles undergo anaerobic or glycolytic metabolism. As far as the energy source, type 1 muscles use the aerobic system, that is oxidative phosphorylation via the Krebs cycle, and type 2 muscles use the ATP creatine phosphate system. As far as exercise duration, type 1 muscles are for endurance, like distance running, they have low strength of contraction, low speed of contraction, and they are the first to atrophy with deconditioning. Type 2 muscles, on the other hand, have a high strength of contraction, high speed of contraction, as they have a large force generation per cross-sectional area, Keep in mind that type 2 muscles fatigue rapidly, and sprinting is an example of when type 2 muscles are utilized. Just some notes on type 1 and type 2 muscles. Type 1 muscles have a high-yield ATP. They require oxygen and thus are more vascular, and they also have increased mitochondria in their cells. Type 2 muscles also have high-yield ATP with increased ATPase, and they have low intramuscular triglycerine stores. Now let's talk about metabolic systems. Three systems are used to generate energy for muscles. The ATP creatine phosphate anaerobic system, the lactic anaerobic system, and the aerobic system. The adenosine triphosphate creatine phosphate system, or the ATP-CP anaerobic system, is also known as the phosphagen system. This is the basis for creatine phosphate supplementation. Remember that the main side effect of creatine phosphate supplementation is muscle cramping. The ATP-CP anaerobic system is used for intense metabolic exercise lasting less than 20 seconds, for example, a 100-meter sprint. The ATP-CP anaerobic system converts carbohydrates stored within muscle into energy. Remember that this system is anaerobic, so it does not use oxygen and does not produce lactate. Some formulas to keep in mind include ATP breaks down into ADP plus phosphate plus energy, and ADP breaks down into AMP 
plus phosphate plus energy. The lactic anaerobic system or lactic acid metabolisms are seen with intense muscle activity lasting 20 to 120 seconds. For example, the 400 meter sprint. This involves hydrolysis of one glucose molecule. Remember that glucose breaks down into lactic acid plus energy. Finally, the aerobic system is used in longer duration and lower intensity exercises. The Krebs cycle generates ATP from glucose and fatty acids through oxidative phosphorylation. Now let's end this review session talking about muscle injury. We'll specifically talk about muscle soreness, muscle strains, and muscle atrophy. So with respect to muscle soreness, this is caused by edema and inflammation in the connective tissue. Neutrophils are the most abundant cells early on after acute injury. Keep in mind that they generate free radicals that possibly increase muscle damage. Remember that muscle soreness is worse with unaccustomed eccentric exercise. It peaks at 24 to 48 hours, and elevated CK levels are seen in the serum. As far as muscle strains, they occur at the myotendinous junction, and this often occurs during eccentric contraction, which produces the highest forces in skeletal muscle. The pathoanatomy involves inflammation followed by fibrosis. Finally, as far as muscle atrophy, this is caused by disuse or nerve injury, leads to fatty infiltration and increased fatigability. Remember that muscles crossing a single joint atrophy faster. Loss of cross-sectional area leads to decreased force generation. And use of angiotensin II receptor blockade increases muscle regeneration after contusion, which decreases fibrosis. This has been a tested point on previous exams, so I'll say it again. Use of angiotensin II receptor blockade increases muscle regeneration after contusion, which decreases fibrosis. The proposed mechanism is IGF-1 blockade, decreasing the apoptosis cascade. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. The first question reads, Which of the following activities describes an isotonic muscle contraction? And the choices are one, upwards motion of a biceps curl, two, downwards motion of a biceps curl, three, pushing against a wall, four, answers one and two, and five, answers three and two. The correct answer to this question is four, answers one and two. So an isotonic muscle contraction is a muscle contraction with constant tension, such as the upwards and downwards motions of a biceps curl. To quickly review, the word isotonic is derived from two Greek words, iso meaning same and tonikos meaning tension. An isotonic muscle contraction is one during which the muscle maintains the same tension as it shortens. There are two types of isotonic contractions, concentric and eccentric. In a concentric isotonic contraction, the muscle shortens while contracting. In an eccentric isotonic contraction, the muscle lengthens during contraction. Ash et al. review exercise programs used in physical therapy. They report that muscle strengthening can be classified into isotonic, isometric, and isokinetic contractions. Isotonic exercises involve the development of muscular force through range of motion or movement. Isokinetic exercises involve the force generation at a constant speed. Isometric exercises involve the development of force without movement as in tensing and holding a muscle at a certain part of the range. Moving on to the next question, which of the following is true regarding the sequence of motor unit recruitment during muscle contracture? 
and the choices are 1. The sequence is slow twitch fatigue resistant units first, fast twitch easily fatigable units second, and fast twitch fatigue resistant units third. 2. The sequence is slow twitch fatigue resistance units first, fast twitch fatigue resistant units second, and fast twitch easily fatigable units third. 3. The sequence is slow twitch fatigue resistance units first, slow twitch easily fatigable units second, and fast twitch easily fatigable units third. 4. The sequence is fast twitch fatigue resistant units first, fast twitch easily fatigable units second, and slow twitch fatigue resistant units third. And 5. The sequence is fast twitch easily fatigable units first, fast twitch fatigue resistant units second, and slow twitch fatigue resistant units third. The correct answer to this question is 2. The sequence is slow twitch fatigue resistant units first, fast twitch fatigue resistant units second, and fast twitch easily fatigable units third. So the order of muscle recruitment starts with type 1 fibers that is slow twitch fatigue resistant units, followed by type 2 units that first includes type 2A, which are fast twitch fatigue resistant, and ends with type 2B, which are fast twitch easily fatigable. To quickly review, motor units are recruited in order of size, starting with small-sized units that generate low force, progressing to larger units with increasing strength of muscle contraction. Type 1 slow oxidative motor units have a lower threshold for activation, activate under lower force requirements, and generate less force. Type 2 units have a higher threshold and activate during activities that require significant force. Type 2A fibers are fast oxidative slash glycolytic, and type 2B fibers are fast glycolytic. The terms slow and fast refer to the speed that myosin ATPases split ATP. The easy fatigability of type 2B fibers occurs because 1. They rely on anaerobic glycolysis to produce ATP, resulting in accumulation of lactic acid, which brings about muscular fatigue, and 2. Their low capillary density. Starin reviewed human muscle fiber types. They state that children ages 2 to 5 years old have a higher percentage of type 1 fibers than newborns and adults. Aging causes loss of function from sarcopenia, that is loss of mass, loss of motor units, particularly type 2, and reduced maximum oxygen consumption beginning at 25 years old. Regarding sex differences, Females have muscles 40% smaller than men because of smaller fibers and fewer total numbers of fibers diameter cross-sectional area. Moving on to the next question. Passage of a sodium ion through a voltage-gated channel leads to which of the following? And the choices are 1. Apoptosis of gram-negative bacteria. 2. Binding of rank L to osteoblasts. 3. Inhibition of micturition. 4. Generation of a nerve action potential and 5. Deposition of salts in adipose tissue. The correct answer to this question is 4. Generation of a nerve action potential. So passage of sodium through a voltage-gated channel will lead to generation of a nerve action potential. To quickly review, voltage-gated channels are shut when the membrane potential is near the resting potential of the cell, but they rapidly begin to open if the membrane potential increases to a precisely defined threshold value. When the channels open in response to the depolarization in a transmembrane voltage, 
they allow an inward flow of sodium ions, which changes the electrochemical gradient, which in turn produces a further rise in the membrane potential. This then causes more channels to open, producing a greater electric current across the cell membrane, and so on. Lee et al. present a review article on nerve conduction and needle electromyography studies. They note that the three types of nerve conduction study are motor, sensory, and mixed, of which motor is the least sensitive. In addition, they report that peripheral nerve entrapment initially results in focal demyelination. Thus, nerve conduction velocity slows across the site. However, with radiculopathy and nerve root compression, the nerve conduction study may be normal. Moving on to the next question, what molecules have been shown to promote fibrosis during muscle injury? And the choices are 1, insulin growth factor 1, or IGF-1, 2, basic fibroblast growth factor, 3, transforming growth factor beta-1, and 4, bone morphogenic protein. The correct answer to this question is 3, transforming growth factor beta. So a muscle's response to injury can be divided into four phases, necrosis, inflammation, repair, and fibrosis. Necrosis involves the degeneration of the muscle fibrils and death. The inflammatory cells then phagocytose the debris and secrete cytokines that promote vascularity. Muscle regeneration does not occur until phagocytic cells remove the debris. Consequently, anti-inflammatory drugs may have negative effects on muscle healing by inhibiting macrophage-induced phagocytosis. Muscle fibrosis occurs at the same time as muscle regeneration and has been shown to involve TGF-beta-1. IGF-1 and basic fibroblast growth factor are important trophic factors in muscle regeneration. Bone morphogenic protein has several functions, including bone and cartilage regeneration. Moving on to the next question, progressive overloading of muscles in adults during exercise leads to which of the following? And the choices are 1, increased muscle fiber length, 2, decreased musculotendinous junction length, 3, slowed peak contraction velocity, 4, muscle fiber hypertrophy, and 5, decreased sarcomere length. The correct answer to this question is 4, muscle fiber hypertrophy. So strength training is achieved by incremental progressive loading of muscles in effort to increase muscle fiber contraction coordination and eventually hypertrophy of the muscle fibers themselves. Kramer et al. provide an American College of Sports Medicine position statement on appropriate training regimens. They recommend that loads corresponding to 8 to 12 repetition maximum be used in novice training. For intermediate to advanced training, it is recommended that individuals use a wider loading range from 1 to 12 repetition maximum in a periodized fashion. For local muscular endurance training, it is recommended that light to moderate loads, that is 40 to 60% of the one rep maximum, be performed for high repetitions, that is greater than 15, using short rest periods or less than 90 seconds. Moving on to the next question. The cross-sectional area of a muscle is the factor most responsible for which of the following? And the choices are 1, amount of maximal tension, 2, speed of contraction, 3, duration of contraction, 4, type of contraction, and 5, fatigability. The correct answer to this question is 1, amount of maximal tension. So force generation, or the amount of maximal tension that can be generated by a given skeletal muscle, is most dependent on the cross-sectional area of the muscle. 
The cross-sectional area is the main determining factor in force generated by the muscle and is controlled by the number of myofibrils that contract. Weightlifting can lead to muscle hypertrophy, increased cross-sectional area, and increased force, that is the ability to lift heavier weights. Fiber types have less to do with the force of contraction and more to do with the duration and speed of contraction. Baroni et al. investigated the chronology of neural and morphological adaptations to knee extensor eccentric training. After 12 training weeks, significant increases in strength and anatomical cross-sectional area were seen. Moving on to the next question. Regarding skeletal muscles, which of the following is true? And the choices are 1. Force generated is most dependent on muscle length. 2. Force generated is most dependent on muscle fiber type. 3. Type 1 muscle is comprised of fast twitch fibrils. 4. Duration and speed of contraction are most dependent on cross-sectional area. And 5. Duration and speed of contraction are most dependent on muscle fiber type. The correct answer to this question is 5. Duration and speed of contraction are most dependent on muscle fiber type. So again, the duration and speed of contraction is most dependent on the muscle fiber type and the force generated by the muscle is most dependent on the cross-sectional area of the muscle. Fiber types have less to do with the force of contraction and more to do with the duration and speed of contraction. The cross-sectional area of a muscle determines to a great extent the force generated by the muscle and is controlled by the number of myofibrils that contract. Muscle length affects contraction force through the Blix curve. The morphology of a muscle can affect the cross-sectional area by varying the angle of the fibers in relation to the force vector. And moving on to the final question. While flexing the elbow to perform a biceps curl, what type of muscle contraction is occurring? And the choices are 1. Isometric, 2. Isokinetic, 3. Plyometric, 4. Eccentric, and 5. Concentric. The correct answer to this question is 5. Concentric. So concentric muscle contractions occur when a muscle shortens during contraction, as in the upward motion when performing a biceps curl. An eccentric contraction occurs when a muscle lengthens with contraction, as in the negative or lowering motion of a biceps curl. An example of an isometric contraction, that is when the muscle contracts while maintaining a constant length, would be pushing against an immovable object. An example of an isokinetic contraction, that is the muscle has a constant speed of contraction, occurs with specialized equipment like a Cybex machine. Plyometric contractions occur when a muscle rapidly lengthens just prior to contraction, like during repetitive box jumping. That's all for this review about muscle biology and physiology. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.